Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Over the last, uh, last week, this week, next week, I'm really, uh, I'm really getting a lot from a study on the supernatural aspect of Christmas. I'm looking at the angels' perspective as they participate in the Christmas message and, and narrative. And, and what I'd like for you to get out of this today is the same thing that Elisha wanted his servant to understand. You see, the servant of Elisha looked out, and the enemy's army was encamped all about them. It was an overwhelming multitude of enemies. And he came in to Elisha, and he said, we're done for. There's no possible way that we can overcome this array of enemies. Maybe I have to switch. Let's switch this. So Elisha prays, and he says, Lord, open his eyes that he can see. And now the, the servant goes out, the enemy is the enemy's still there. The enemy is just as real as before. But now the supernatural veil has been, has been torn away. And now he can see the host of heavenly angels that are arrayed in his favor. What I want you to see as we go through this today, as we look at this passage of Scripture, is that when the Bible says, if God is for you, who can be against you? It means also that every obedient servant of the Lord is for you. It means that every angel who's a messenger of the Lord speaks for you. It means that every servant of the living God is moving in a way to bring you favor and to protect you. He actually gives his angels charge over his people. They are his heavenly family. And when you join God's family through Jesus Christ, his son, they become your heavenly family. Now, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at when they appear on the scene and what we can learn about what they do when they come. And so this is one of the classic passages of Christmas. It's the story of Joseph and his uh, visitation of the angel. And so I'd like it if you'd read together with me. I like it when we as a church read out loud together. So would you read God's word? Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, what I'm going to share with you is, is fairly deep theological kind of stuff. So I want to divide it up into basically three things I'd like you to learn today. The first is that you have to have a biblical perspective on angels and on the supernatural, or you'll fall into pretty grievous error. The second thing is that by looking at what the angels do visibly, you can begin to understand what they are doing invisibly. And then the third thing is this, and this is, to me, the most important thing. Because of sin, this world is under a curse. And because of Adam's decision to rebel against God, Satan didn't take God's place on the earth. He took human beings' place. He took the authority that humans were to have over the earth, and now he took it for himself. And instead of us subduing the earth and multiplying and being fruitful, the enemy cursed the very ground that we, that we try to toil in and, and the work that we try to do. You see, COVID-19 is not because of anybody's specific sin, but it is because of sin in general. Because that which comes as death always comes out of the curse. And so it has a demonic element to it. So what you and I have to come to understand, and this is the conclusion of what we're going to look at today, is that God has given you the resources to reverse the curse. Especially for yourself, for your family, and for any place over which he gives you an assignment. But what happens is most believers do not operate with their authority, so they mostly just complain about the curse instead of reversing the curse. So we want to look at this. Are you tracking with me so far? Okay, so I know I have to say all of this in a short amount of time, you know? And it's a lot. All right, so let's talk about the mistakes or a biblical perspective on angels. There are two mistakes that people make about angels and demons. The first one is people want to ignore them. I actually have met pastors who say, if I ignore the devil, he won't bother me. And I'm like, he's already got you. Okay, so there's a sense in which this has been true for a long time. In the days of Jesus, there was a group called the Sadducees. They were the opposite of the Pharisees. They were the richer, the more, the more prosperous, more in control of the government, all kinds of things. These guys denied the reality of the supernatural. They also denied the reality of the resurrection. And they did not believe that there was life after death. Now the joke goes that because they didn't believe in the resurrection, that's why they were sad, you see. That was just for Jan Hartog. All right. So here's the thing, though. Come on, people. If you believe in God, you should go the rest of the way. If you're going to believe in the supernatural, you might as well have the God's revelation of the supernatural and have expectation that there, are, that there are factors at work in your life that are not visible to you, but are more real than even the circumstances you see. And so I'm asking you to start to realize that as hard a position as the world 
is in right now, you are still the object of a spiritual realm that has two-thirds of the angels for you and working in your life. Now, it's not passivity. And we'll see that as we go forward. Now, the other thing is this. There are certainly those who make too much of both angels and demons and, and who want to make everything in this a kind of a super spiritualized reality. This is going to take a little thinking. But Francis Schaeffer is one of the best thinkers on this. He calls it super spirituality. And there, if you're not careful, you will slip into this kind of spiritualizing. Here's what it looks like. He says, we are impressed with the fact that many have very little content to their faith. Everything is experience. Emotion or emotionalism becomes their base. We must, of course, be careful here because we're not saying that there shouldn't be any experience or emotion. There is and there should be. But neither experience nor emotion is the basis for our faith. The basis for our faith is that certain things are true. You don't make them true by your faith. They're either true or they're not. The whole man, including the intellect, is to act upon the fact that certain things are true. That, of course, will lead to an experiential relationship with God. But the basis is content, not experience. This is certainly the approach taken by Paul, Isaiah, and other prophets, as well as the Lord Jesus himself. It is this way throughout the whole of Scripture. What this means, then, is God normally works in your life in the deepest way, creating encounters and experiences, friends, as you look to his word, as you are in prayer, as you give yourself to individual worship and corporate worship. It's in those moments that the Spirit illuminates and even angels can fill an atmosphere with their presence, but they do it when you're on the pathway, not when you're diverting from the pathway. So many of us want the easy way of experientialism, whereas God says, no, study the word to show yourself approved. Pray always. Pray without ceasing. Worship in spirit and in truth. And as you are in that pathway, you will have encounters that will lead to supernatural activity, not only being in your life, but you begin to recognize that things are happening to you. Very seldom do people have direct content, contact or direct revelation, either from God or angels. It's God working through the means that he has established and that you devote yourself to. Tracking with me on this so far. So what we're really saying is God likes to work in indirect ways. One of the things that I keep finding more and more is that God works through mediators. He uses means. He illuminates. He, 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 he makes, in a way, a word or a song or something just set your heart on fire. And you see, it's his word, and then he sets it on fire. It's his truth, and he sets it on fire. This, this is one of the differences between biblical faith and unhealthy faith. Biblical faith doesn't make anything happen. It embraces what has already happened and applies it to your life right now. It doesn't make it true. 
That's why you can't just say, I want a Lexus in Jesus' name. And the Lexus appears because you said in Jesus' name. Because your faith is not the cause of anything. It is the means of everything. But if you're trying to make your faith be the cause, then all glory goes to your faith. And none of us can handle that kind of glory. So anytime you have a question, am I having enough faith? The issue isn't, am I having enough faith? Do I have enough truth? And then do I believe the truth? And if you ever say to me, well, I can't do that. Yes, you can, because you're believing something all the time. The question is, what's the content of what you're believing? Are you hearing me? This is why, as hard as it is, getting yourself in the Bible, getting yourself to church, getting yourself into listening or singing praise music, whatever it is, puts you in the pathway of revelation. Do you know the angels are drawn to your worship? They are drawn to those who are praying. Do you understand when you pray, something happens? And it isn't so much that you have to make it happen. You are mediating or you are the means through which that begins to happen. Many of us love to complain. You know what happens when you complain? You're praying a negative prayer that gets answered by the wrong angels. Because once Satan knows he can tweak you, he keeps tweaking you. I can't stand this. He goes, ha ha, good prayer. That just got on my last nerve. All right, we're going to get to that last nerve. You see, you're praying just to the wrong group. And they will answer because they want to steal. They want to kill. They want to destroy. So if they're listening and reacting to your prayers on the negative side, how much more are the angels who have charge over you then answering and reacting to your positive prayers. You could release a thousand angels for your family. Or you could release just one demon and screw up the whole mess. You understand why I want to say these things to you? Because you can change anything. But you've got to, you can't just sit there going, God, why aren't you doing something? God, why do you let this happen to me? Or the best one that many of us, one of our most passive statements, why does this always happen to me? Because you've given access to the wrong group. And you haven't decided that you're going to reverse that curse. Somehow you're, you're actually enjoying wallowing in your misery. So you don't want to be healed, so you're not being healed. But you could release thousands of God's attendants for your family right now. But they're not mind readers. See, if, if, if fallen angels can't read your mind, then neither can obedient angels. So they're waiting on prayers. They're waiting on verbalization. I mean, if you're sitting there going, <laughs> they're like, is he constipated? What is... <laughs> Looks like something's wrong. Don't know what it is, but it looks like... All right, I'm being silly a little bit. 
But you understand what I'm saying? You and I live in presumption that God should just do it because I want him to do it. Instead of going, wait a minute, he told me to pray. He told me to bind. He told me to loose. And then see, once that's done, then what is he loosing? He's loosing whatever angelic force he needs. When you bind, he's sending the ones who know how to bind. But because we don't say it, because we don't do it, you understand, the pathway is a pathway of freedom. It's a pathway of healing. This is not advancing. Would you guys help me out there? I can make the rest up, I guess. But. <laughs> so here's the over-super, kind of this over-spiritualizing, super-spiritual. I, when I first came and, and was teaching at NIAC and pastoring here, I had a lot of people who would come up and say, I'm praying that the Lord will show me who I am to marry. Now, most of them were unattractive males who were looking for somebody who would marry them supernaturally, I believe. <laughs> All right? And I was sitting there going, it doesn't work that way. They're like, no, no. I heard in a dream that I was to marry this girl. I said, what did you do? I went up to her in the cafeteria and I said, God told me that you're to marry me. <laughs> now, I mean, a lot of bad things came out of this. Like one is that there were a lot of young women, especially who were sensitive to what the spirit was doing and wanted to listen to the spirit. And they were confused. They're like, did God tell this guy? Am I supposed to marry him even though I don't know him? I have no idea what he's like or anything else. And I'm like, I would always say to him, run from that guy. That is not prophetic. That is, that is somebody trying to shortcut the hard work of getting over the fear of rejection, getting over the fear of commitment, getting over learning how to relate, compromise, negotiate, and, and bring your life together with someone else. I said, this is not the Holy Spirit. This is cowardice. Because they're so afraid of being rejected, they're trying to make God the bully. And literally, friends, I've, I've counseled people who were told to marry because somebody said prophetically they heard they were supposed to marry. And I asked when their marriage was falling apart, I said, did you want to marry him? No, but I thought I had to. You understand, that's not God. That's not the way God works in that he, you meet somebody you get to know them. You decide, should I commit my life to them? Are they trustworthy? Is this a person that I can spend the rest of my life with? Can I make this kind of commitment? You see, if you're not making that commitment, then it's not God. God doesn't force us against our will to commit to something that can only be lived out if you surrender your will to it. Oh, come on. This is brilliant stuff right now. The other thing I've found is sometimes people in ministry or in, who are, you know, bosses, employers, I've heard them say, well, God told me not to hire you or God told me to fire you or whatever it is. I'm sitting there going, that is not the way it works. That's not leadership. That's cowardice. You're trying to say, I, well, I want to keep you, but God says go. Or I want to hire you, but God says no. You see, what you're saying is I, I don't want to be responsible. I don't want to take the hard step 
of being a leader, which is I listen to God. I make decisions. If they're wrong decisions, I missed it. But if they're the right decisions, I listened. But it's still my responsibility to make the decision. If someone says to you, God's put you in a corner where you cannot do anything else, then you're not really listening very well. You cannot make God the scapegoat for your bad decisions. Are you tracking with me in this? So there's a lot of super spiritualizing that's really just about not growing up. It's about not becoming mature. It's about not learning that you have responsibilities. Your choices matter. And you have to have the courage to make your choices. And when you're wrong, you're still approved of God. You're still justified by faith. But you have to be able to own when you're wrong. Because if you don't own when you're wrong, you won't learn. Okay, I can save you some counseling with that advice right there. Now, let me take it a step further. It can be even more dangerous than this. Some years ago, a guy rose up who was, became famous for a healing revival. And it was so powerful and it was, it was, uh, that people were coming from all over the world to this healing revival down in Florida. So I was down in Florida doing a wedding, and I went to the services for two nights. It was in this big, huge tent, uh, thousands of people coming. And when I went in, I could tell you this, I could feel both the Holy Spirit and the demons. And so what happens with a lot of people is they immediately dismiss anything if they sense the negative. Let me tell you, wherever God's at work, Satan is right there. The rest of the world, he can leave untended in a way. But wherever God is starting to move in a way, he's going to be there to try to mix it up and mess it up. So it doesn't mean that it's not of God just because the enemy is present. It may mean it's really of God because the enemy is present. But in this case, something was wrong. And a big part of it was immediately apparent to me by the way that the leader, who was, who was very effective in communication, but horrible with the word of God. So here's a guy who had tremendous personal power, but he had no accountability and he had no depth in the word. And immediately I went, this is going to be a mess. Something's not right here. And then he explained his healing process. He waited for the angel to show up. He told us the angel's name was Emma, which didn't seem real biblical. seemed more like millennial. I don't know, you know. Uh, seemed very different. And then he waited and he would talk and talk and talk till. He had a sign the angel was there by a smell. And then the angel would begin to work the healings. And I said, this is, this is not good. This is not good. And his, his justification was this. Please listen to me on this. He said, there's a story in the Gospels, which there is, of a pool where the angel would come and stir up the water. And the people would then rush to get in. And whoever got in first got the healing. So Jesus comes to the pool, and there's a man who's been there for like 39 years or something like that, and he's never gotten into the water. And, he, and so Jesus says, do you want to be healed? He says, well, sir, I don't have anyone to put me in the water. I, don't, I can't ever get there in time. He's making excuses why he can't be healed. And he's got the healer right there. <laughs> Jesus isn't saying, why can't you be healed? He's saying, do you want to be healed? And then Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. And the guy walks. 
So let me tell you something. You want an angel stirring the water for one person every now and then. You want Jesus who can say, take up your bed and walk. You understand? He's asked, these guys were saying, we got the lesser. We got Emma. Right? And I'm like, we got Jesus. The other thing is, angels don't want to be glorified. They don't even call attention to themselves. They call attention to Jesus. Why would I want to go back to that pool when I could have Jesus? Do you understand? They were super spiritualizing. Well, and I, something didn't feel right. Well, guess what? He was sleeping with his interns, cheating on his wife, ended up leaving his wife and his children to go off and have you know a life with one of his interns. You see... What happens in that, so I don't know him, so I can't tell you this is what happened, but what happens to people in those circumstances is because they see power, then they think anything they do is okay. And I actually had people say to me, well, I thought God was all for my adultery because I kept seeing healings when I prayed. I'm like, you know, the content of his word doesn't change. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I mean, it just never changes whether you're seeing healings come or not. Am I, am I getting my point across with a hammer? What we're really talking about is Colossians 2.18. Let no one disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism, which means you, you, you begin to believe that godliness is, is, is to deprive yourself, to hurt yourself, to beat yourself up. But then it says, not only that, but don't insist on the worship of angels. Going on in detail about visions. I've been around people that they're more in tune with their visions than they are the word of God. Let me tell you, I've had many people come up and prophesy over me after a service. I remember one lady coming up and goes, the Lord told me you're going to lose everything, but don't lose heart. I was like, get out of here. Who are you? What are you even talking about? If somebody had no connection with me but wanted to show they had a vision. I said, you should have been listening to the sermon instead of having a vision. Some of you are like, why do we come to this church? He's mean. What does it say, though? It says they get puffed up without reason by their own sensuous minds. You understand? The focus has to be on Jesus. But you see, where the focus is on Jesus is where the angels focus as well. And so what happens is the scriptures speak of the fact, both the Lord Jesus, the apostles, they speak to us of these ministry of the angels. Now, here's the thing. We only see the visible appearance of angels in a very sporadic way. One teacher of mine called it spasmodic. In other words, you can't control it. There's no formula to it. There are times and seasons of great transition in the scriptures. And when there were these new revelation, when there was further revelation, God would send his angels to communicate it so that it would authenticate it to the people. That's what you see is God speaking the new covenant through through an announcement even by angels. But you see it in other times. You see the patriarchs got visitations in the Exodus, when they were leaving um, Egypt and going to the Promised Land, there was angelic presence, the conquest of the land. 
Daniel, the prophets, all of them had visitations. But now when we look in the the Gospels, we see angels at the incarnation, angels during the temptation, the baptism, angels during crucifixion, the resurrection, ascension of Jesus. And we're going to see them visibly when he returns. But you cannot control or make them visible. And what I'm trying to get you to see, though, is you can begin to realize the work that they're doing invisibly. I've been a lot of parts of the world, and one of the things that is clear in the history of the work of God is people say this, where we see revival, we feel the angels in the air. We feel a multitude in the atmosphere. See, part of, part of what gets me excited, even in this season, is that many people are praying in greater ways than ever. But I'm especially thankful for Suho and for uh, the team who, who prays Monday nights from 7 to 8, Wednesday night and Friday night. Because, see, by their prayers, angels are being positioned. They're being drawn by, by consistent pathway of prayer. Curses are being broken. And God is doing a work. I, I, I think that you could probably say that there was a lack of angelic presence when I came to New York. People everywhere, pastors came up to me and said, why are you coming here? This place is dead. Nothing happens here. People don't get saved here. Nothing goes on here. I'm saying, well, if we stoke the fire of his presence... If we minister to the fire of his presence, then those who are with him will come with him. And when the spirit begins to rise, the water of his presence, every church rises, every work rises, every household rises. You have no idea by just becoming a household of prayer what angelic attraction you will make for your community. But if you sit there going, well, the angels ought to help me out. Like so many Christians do. They live in such pity. They live in such complaining. Yes, we're faced with some pretty big obstacles, but so was Elisha. And then he prayed and they saw what was for them was greater than what was against them. Are you thoughtful? Is that what it is? I can't quite tell. You're hearing me. All right. So characteristically, then, what we see is the ongoing ministry of the angel tends to be invisible. Why don't we see them more often? I think there are two reasons. You're never to get caught up in the messengers. Secondly, they do not want us to give what belongs to God to them. But here's the thing I want you to take away from today. Revelation 19 says, in everything you're doing in your assignment, everything you're doing in your purposes for God, the angel says, I'm your co-worker. You never do anything alone. You never get an assignment that God doesn't assign the angels with you. They work invisibly because God works through them invisibly and indirectly. Now, I have to do this part fast. But this is, will you go theological with me for a minute? Now, you, you don't have a choice because I have the microphone. But I want you to see something. 
God is not content for even a little bit of the curse to remain in your life. And the way that you can see this is even in this passage that I just read to you. There, God is undoing what the fall did. And we see it in, the, in these visitations of the angels. Now, there, there are two very distinct visitations uh, to men in, in the Gospels. In Luke, we have the visitation to Zechariah where the angel comes to him face to face. And we have that visitation in Matthew of Joseph where the angel appears to him in a dream. Now, these two men have a lot in common. They're married to cousins. Does that make them cousins outlaws? Or I'm not sure. They're both married. Uh, Mary and Elizabeth are cousins. They're the husbands of cousins. And so they're both described as righteous men. In other words, as much revelation as they have, they have lived devoted to God for their whole lives. And so they are in the pathway of being able to hear from Him. And then what we, what we realize is both these men get staggering news at the same time. Now, the affirmation of this staggering news is given to them by an angelic being in both cases. Now, here's the thing. Zechariah sees the angel. He talks to Zechariah. Joseph is asleep and has a dream where the message is delivered by the angel. Now, it's two situations. Zechariah is an old man. Elizabeth is beyond childbearing years. So the message of the angel is staggering, but it's not out of the paradigm. Abraham was given a similar message, and Sarah was given a similar birth. But there is no paradigm for Joseph. You find out your fiancé is pregnant, you want to know who holy in spirit is. <laughs> and where they live. Right? I mean, there's, you, don't have, you don't have a paradigm that says God can just give a baby to a woman who hadn't had sex. So you can see that in some ways, yes, it's staggering news to Zechariah, but it is life-changing news to Joseph. Because he's going to be talked about for the rest of his life of having a wife who cheated on him before they got married. And of having to father a boy who is not his son. And in that traditional culture, nothing could be more shameful than what's about to happen. So you would think, right? Let me just emphasize this for a minute. He'd get the visit face to face. Instead, he gets the dream. The Bible is always intentional, friends. Always intentional. Details matter. So here's what we began to realize. Matthew is wanting us to understand that he's taking us all the way back to creation. Do you remember what God did when he created Eve? He didn't give anesthesia. He put him to sleep. Do you know why he put him to sleep? Now you could say, well, he contributed his rib. You know, he was asleep. He didn't know. All right. It's not about his contribution. He was put to sleep so he would know she was the gift of God. Not made of man, but made by God. And that she was in God's image, not Adam's image. So that they would be equals and she would be a gift. You understand? He put him to sleep so Adam couldn't say, look at what I made you. 
I can take you out of this world. No, I can't because God made you and He made you equally in His image with any male. So Adam, Adam went to sleep so he couldn't get any credit. So guess what? Joseph is asleep and God's about to do something deeply personal in Joseph's life, but He's also going to say, Joseph, I'm going to give you an assignment, but I'm not going to give you any of the contribution. So in other words, this baby won't have your DNA. This baby won't be yours. This is going to be my gift to you of the very son who's going to save the world. And I'm going to make you the guardian. Do you understand? It's a gift. But why did he put him to sleep? Same reason he put Adam to sleep. Now the second, are you tracking with me so far? So the second echo that Matthew weaves, so you know we're getting a reverse of the curse, is that this guy's name is Joseph. And what is Joseph known for but his dreams? And you see, it was the fulfillment of Joseph's dream that gave the material salvation to Israel. They were saved from famine, they were saved from hunger, and eventually they were saved from Egypt. Now our Joseph is having a dream of salvation as well. But it's not just a material salvation. It's the salvation of the whole world through the Son, which Mary will, will deliver, Jesus himself. And what an amazing salvation, but also what an amazing moment. For 400 years, God has been silent. For 400 years, no one has heard his voice. And all of a sudden, this other man by name, Joseph, in a dream like the other Joseph, is hearing how God is going to change everything. Second echo. So third echo, in a way, is that you begin to realize this is fulfillment of Joel. Chapter 2, listen what, it said, what, what Peter says on Pentecost when he's quoting Joel. He says, In the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. You understand what God is saying when he gives this dream to an old man? I can't prove it completely, but scholars have always said, that Joseph was a markedly older man than Mary. He's getting a dream, this old man. It's the beginning of the last days. It's the beginning of God pouring out His Spirit on all flesh. It's the beginning of supernatural ministry for every believer. And the first one to experience that dream was an old man by the name of Joseph. We're in the last days, friends. Then... There's this, are you still with me? There's one more echo that I want to I bring out. You see, the whole of Matthew is basically a comparison of Moses and Jesus. Because Matthew wants to take the basis of what Jesus is going to do and, and, and parallel it and put it close to what Moses was going to do. You remember that Moses had to bleed the people out of Egypt. Well, Joseph has to take, because of Herod's terrible uh, destruction and slaughter of all the children under two years old, Joseph has to get, get Jesus out of Nazareth, out of, out of the Holy Land. He has to take him to Egypt. And here's a fulfillment of Hosea who says, I'm going to call my son out of Egypt. And then on top of that, you have, this, you have this prophecy of Moses that one will follow him who will be even greater than him. 
And on the Mount of Transfiguration, who shows up but Moses? And God looks at Moses and at Elijah and says, this is my son, listen to him. He's saying, as great a prophet as Elijah was, as great a word as Moses had, this is nothing the Father is saying. This is my son, this is my final word. This is the word you were looking for. And all this came about in this marvelous dream that this man, Joseph, you see, what I'm trying to say to you is God has pulled out all the stops to reverse the curse in your life so that you now stand up for your family, you stand up for your community, and you begin to say, we have supernatural resources to turn our defeats into victories and our failures into triumphs. But guess what they said in both dreams? Do not be afraid. It's, it's interesting. 366 times in the Bible it says don't be afraid. One for every day, one for leap year. But there's a difference here. Zechariah was afraid of the angel. And the angel said, don't be afraid of me. But the angel said to Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Listen, Zechariah received an angel in person and he, he, he had to go silent for nine months before he believed fully. He had to go into spiritual discipline of solitude and silence before he could get to that place of belief. Look at what Joseph, he heard the message. He believed and he acted. But here's, you know, even though the literal translation do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. You know what he was really saying? Do not be afraid to embrace my son. Do you know that's what the angels are saying to you today? Do not be afraid to embrace my son. This is the father's message through the angels. And when the angels speak, they speak the word of God. They don't interpret the word. They don't apply the word. They just deliver the word. And the word to every human heart is, do not be afraid to embrace the very Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's, here, I, I need to finish, but this is so important to me. You see, by embracing God's Son, then the heavenly family becomes your heavenly family. I hear people all the time who do not believe in Jesus, but believe they have guardian angels. Friend, they have guardian demons. Because they're opponents of God, they're opponents of the heavenly family. It's only when you are no longer in opposition to God that the heavenly family is no longer in opposition to you. But once you accept Jesus and embrace his son, then all of heaven is given charge over you. And what begins to happen is you see, their goal is that their master, the Lord Jesus, would be honored here below as he is honored above. This is my favorite line. Since the angels love and adore our Lord Jesus Christ, they love us in sincerity and truth. And they love guarding us as service to the Lord himself. Do not be afraid to embrace the Son.